And today we welcome and feel very honored to have Brother Tim LeBlanc here with us from POA in Alexandria. We're glad to have his wife, Jessica, and two awesome boys, Will and Jack, here with us today. Tim has been here working with our music team Friday night, all day yesterday, and then he's here with us this morning. We love and appreciate this man, his burden, his vision, and his sacrifice that he makes every, every time he can to not only to sing himself, but to train, to teach. And he's done an amazing job with our worship team, and we're glad to have them here today very much. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Welcome to Grace Church. I want to call your attention to the Word of God. It took a lot of doings on my part to transition from a phenomenal moment of worship to quieting things down just a little bit to read from the Word of God. But um, the Lord spoke to me Friday morning, and I don't believe His plans have changed for this service today. I want to call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Very familiar verse. The Bible said, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity or love. I don't want to preach about charity today. I didn't come to preach about that. Neither did I come to preach about faith. I want to preach about that word in the middle that is actually the link between faith and love. And that's the word hope. I want to preach to you for a little while today about the ascent to hope. It's a journey that all of us need to take this morning. There's moms and dads here today that are disillusioned. There's families that are disillusioned. There's young married couples here today that are disillusioned. There's folks here today that think that life is pretty much over and you're just existing and kind of cohabitating on this planet with everybody else that just waiting for your day to come when it'll all be over. Sounds kind of like a doomsday thing, but I don't mean it that way, but there's a lot of people that feel that way. I want to preach to you the ascent to hope. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> During the night of October 7 and 8, that would be Friday and Saturday night, October 7 and 8, I had a dream, and um, it has perplexed me for now this many days, and I want to share it with you and then get into my message. I'm not going to give you this person's name, but it's a person that Sister Murphy and I have known almost 40 years, if not 40 years. This person has been a backslider for almost as many years as we've known this person and in my dream she died this person died and somehow I was asked to preach her funeral and as it was getting close to time to start someone came and got me and said she moved if you can picture we were at a place to me in the dream that was unknown to me I suppose a funeral home she was laid out in a casket and someone said she moved. I ran to the casket as fast as I could, and I looked at her corpse, and I said, Get up in the name of Jesus. And she opened her eyes and raised her hands, and I said, Get up. You can live again. And she rolled over. This person is in her late 50s, early 60s, I suppose. She rolled over and her back to me and she said, No, I don't believe I can. I don't want to. It was so very vivid in this dream. And I said, If you don't get up, you'll be lost forever. And she said, I know, I don't want to get up. In that dream, God spoke to me at the end of that, and he said, I want to give life to people in her particular age group that fit that particular parameter 
backslidden for years and what have you. But they'll have to want it. It's up to them to get up to receive it or not. So I've come today to preach to Grace Church. And I want to say very carefully, there's folks here today that fit that category. I want to preach to you today the ascent to hope. And if you'll remember, our theme this year has been just simply ascend, which to me is moving forward and upward at the same time. So let me begin today, and and I'm going to give you some introduction uh, for just a few moments, and then just for a short time I will share with you my message that God spoke to me this past Friday morning. I was standing in my bathroom getting dressed for the day, and uh, I thought I was on a track for today. I thought I had a message prepared, and God spoke to me. I felt that hard nudge of the Holy Ghost, and He said, I want you to preach hope Sunday morning. So needless to say, since Friday morning, it's been a very busy time for Pastor trying to put all of this together, but here we go. During the century that ended in 1999, we saw more major fulfillment of prophecy than all of the years prior, even dating back to the Bible. The events unfolding around the globe today are another significant step closer to the conclusion of history as described in the Scriptures. And I am not here today seeking to sensationalize the political and military actions being taken around the world, but to share with you my conviction that we must not overlook their significance to the spiritual climate of the world that we're living in. And as far as this up-and-coming presidential election, all I can say is God help us. And you should still go vote. I want to stop right here and say typically, very typically and generically, the Republican Party is desiring to try to hold America's values Typically, they're trying to hold on to America's values where the Democratic Party is trying to, is very agenda-motivated and trying to take us down a path that Christian people should be very resistant to. Equality in marriage is not something us Christian folks embrace. Uh, we don't condone abortion, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know if you've even noticed in this election cycle, but we've heard the term religious freedom mentioned more than it's ever been mentioned. There's an agenda... There's an agenda, and you need to pay attention to that, and you need to go vote. And everybody said amen. If you don't vote, don't complain about what happens in the future. But many non-Christian people are sensing for the first time a genuine hopelessness. There is an anxiety as to how escalating conflicts will radically change life on this planet. A fear of increasing terrorist attacks, political fanaticism, social unrest, and so on. So the questions along this line could be asked, what hope can there possibly be for a better world for our children and now even to those of us, our grandchildren? Where can we find new hope for the present, let alone our future? Where can our friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues turn for hope? There are so many ways that for many, hope has been shattered. There's broken bodies filled with sickness, disease, and disaster. There's broken homes of divorce, violence, debt, and even death. Broken lives, drugs, alcohol, crime, bereavement, desertion. Broken dreams. People have lost ambition. They have feel like they failed. They live in defeat and disappointment. They all seem to be symptoms of our modern society and today are affecting millions of people, depriving them of peace, happiness, and ultimately hope. The wise man said in Proverbs 13 that hope deferred makes the heart sick. We are very mindful Jesus coming to earth as our Savior some 2,000 years ago. He came to a lost world. And brought us the hope of being found again in the grace of God. He came to a blind world. He came to a deaf world. And brought us the hope 
of restored sight and sound spiritually so we should see Him again and hear His voice again, a comeback a come into restored communion with Him. If you will, today, hope is the Cinderella of the great threesome found in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. But hope is seemingly the one always left out. Hope is the one never taken to the ball. We hear a lot of messages on faith. We hear a lot of messages on love, but we don't hear that much about hope. Peter addressed it in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, finally... Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brothers. Be pitiful or be kind and compassionate. Be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called and that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life And seek good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew or hate evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are upon or unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those that are evil. And who is he that will harm you? If ye be followers of that which is good. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I want us to consider this morning this dream of hope in a hopeless world. The Bible fully understands that hope is vital to all living people. And there are so many ways that hope is shattered. Someone said one time that we can live 40 days without food, 8 days without water, 4 minutes without air, but only seconds without hope. I want to read that again, and if you'll notice the screen. We can live 40 days without food, 8 days without water, 4 minutes without air, but only seconds without hope. I read a number of years ago that one of the biggest things that claims teenage lives is suicide Someone so aptly said one time, it's when a teenager gets to the end of their road and have no hope. So what do we mean by hope? What did Peter mean by hope in his letter? The word used in the Greek is elpis and means a favorable and confident expectation. It has to do with a positive vision of the unseen and even of the future. It's most frequent use in the New Testament. It talks about the happy anticipation of good. Paul wrote to Titus, Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Let me submit to you this morning that hope is not wishful thinking or a vague aspiration. It's not wanting things to turn out well while remaining uncertain that they actually will. Hope is the absolute certainty we have that God is good and that His promises are true. And I believe that today with all of my being. Hope is actually manifested in Jesus Himself. He is our ultimate hope. The Bible said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is what I've come to preach to you today. 
in Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning with verse 1, the hand of the Lord, Ezekiel said, was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, and he said unto me, he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? I want to stop here for a moment and say in passing in reference to the dream I shared with you a few moments ago. I have sat down and talked with people, visited with people. I've poured my heart out on more than one occasion. Figuratively speaking, I took my heart out and set it on the table. I've given people everything that I have on the inside to encourage them, to try to persuade them that life as you know it may be dismal, it may be full of hardship, and you may even feel hopeless. But I have said with more passion and fervency, even in the past few months to people, that no matter where your life is at this moment, no matter what happened to you in the past, life for you is not over. I've come to preach to somebody today you can live again. Oh, God, you can live again. Your heart can be filled with joy. God can restore your hope. God can give you peace again like you've never known. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter how you feel about the future. I submit to you today with everything in me that there is hope and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the praise team just sang. Jesus, Jesus, no greater name. And so God has asked me that question in times past when I've looked into the face of people especially those who were once in a very live and vibrant relationship with God. I've looked into their face. I've looked into their eyes. They were lifeless, glazed over, if you will. Lives are shipwrecked. Their story is awful and endless. And I hear that voice in my ear. You folks just have to understand and bear with me for a moment. Sister Murphy knows what I'm talking about. You sat across the lunch table, the dinner table, or the desk in my office, or in their living room, and I hear that voice, and I'm looking at this individual that at one time was an on-fire, vibrant, excited Christian person, and now their lives are falling apart, and they're destitute, and tomorrow is going to be no better than today, and I hear that voice in my ear that says, Son of man, can they live again? And they live again. I sat there, and I'm going to be real honest. I have to answer like Ezekiel did. He said, I answered and said, Oh Lord God, thou knowest. Ezekiel's being very honest, and no doubt he is not saying what he is thinking. Son of man, can these bones live? Not a chance. Can these bones live? No way. It's impossible. But something rises up on the inside through the Holy Ghost. It's somewhere along the line you have to give God the benefit of the doubt. You do somehow you have to give Him the benefit of the doubt. And you say, God, only you know the answer to that question. And he said unto me, and it's what I'm doing today, 
prophesy or preach to these bones. Let the word of God fly. Let the word of God go forth and watch what I'll do. I'll not take the time to read the rest of the scripture, but I want somebody to understand here today that it ain't over for you yet. Life ain't over for you yet. Has anybody found the hope that I'm talking about? Don't you live it every single day? I need for about 10 people to jump to your feet and clap your hands in affirmation that my hope is in Him. Oh, yes. It was said one time that the devil was having a yard sale and all of his tools were marked for different prices. And they were a fiendish lot. There was hatred, jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, all at expensive prices. But over to the side of the yard sale on display was a tool more obviously worn than any other tools, and it was also the most costly. The tool was labeled discouragement. When questioned, the devil said, it's more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring down my victims with any of the rest of these tools, I use discouragement because so few people realize that that tool belongs to me. Satan is never happier than when he sees people giving in and giving up to despair and becoming lost in hopelessness. Have you ever felt like your whole world is caving in around you and there's absolutely no hope? There's folks here today that are struggling with rebuilding your house. It don't seem like you'll ever get done. It don't seem like you'll ever be finished. I hear that over and over. That, well, I'm waiting on this and I'm waiting on that. And I will just go ahead and say... Those of you that are waiting on cabinets, God bless you. I hope you can get them somewhere. Everybody's busy. Everybody's trying hard. But I want to tell you today, one of these days you'll look back and say, I never thought I'd get through that trial. I never thought I'd get through the heartbreak. I never thought I'd get over the things that I've lost. I never thought I could be restored. But I want to introduce you to Jesus today anew and afresh. God has a way of replacing the heartache and the heartbreak. God has a way of replacing the disillusionment and despair, the loneliness and depression. The devil can throw anything at you he wants to, but my God, the Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, no pun intended, that the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I'm here to preach to somebody today. There is hope. Your troubles seem to mount up insurmountably. But be of good cheer. I have hope for the hopeless. There are situations which appear to be totally and absolutely hopeless. The picture portrayed in Ezekiel 37. I just read a portion of that scripture, but I'm going to refer to the rest of it now as we traverse through this message. It's of the nation of Israel and their captivity and displacement. Out of their homeland, their nation is virtually dead. Their faith is dead. Hope is gone. It was, it was depicted as lifeless, scattered and bleached out, just as this conquered army's corpses were. In Ezekiel 37, they were strewn across the battleground, miserably defeated, mowed down by the enemy. There was no way humanly possible that they would ever arise from this defeat. Job said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is when mine eye shall no more see good. There's no greater state of hopelessness, hopelessness than the man without Jesus in his life. Jean-Paul Sartre wrote, Man can live, can count on no one but himself. He's alone, abandoned on earth in the midst of his infinite responsibilities without help, with no other aim than the one that he sets before himself, with no other destiny than the one he forges for himself on this earth. 
Lenzel said, those apart from God have a feeling of meaningless and abandonment that they cannot explain. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and said that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Only God has the answer to hopeless situations. Son of man, can these bones live? Can they? God, only you know the answer to that question. From man's perspective, only one answer could come from the prophet's mouth. Life for these bones is impossible. It's absurd to suppose that these dead bones could ever live again. But it was God who asked the question. And it is God alone who knows the answer. The story was told one time of a man that approached a little league baseball game one afternoon. He asked the little boy sitting in the dugout, he said, what's the score? The little boy responded. He said, we're behind. It's 18 to nothing. And the man said, wow. I bet you're just a little discouraged. The boy said, why should I be? My team hadn't got up to bat yet. I feel the same way. I've just stepped up to the batter's box, buddy. I don't care who's pitching. I know the ability in my God, buddy. Throw what you got. Give me your best pitch. And with the help of God, I'll blow it out of the park. I'm teased often about making that statement all the time, but I mean it. God don't hit base hits. He's not satisfied with doubles and triples. He's not even satisfied with a home run. He wants a grand slam, buddy. Throw me your best pitch, and I'll bust it out of the park, and I'll bring everybody home. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. In Matthew 19... The Bible said when he, Jesus' disciples, heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld and said unto them with men, This is impossible, but with God. Phil Elwood, I remember folks saying from time to time, I don't know if he's going to ever come back to God. Walked away from God, lived away from God somewhat 30 plus years. I even remember walking that day, Sister Yvonne, God bless your heart. I, I pick on you all the time. But she's got broad shoulders. I walked into that state farm office and I saw a lady sitting there that I remembered you couldn't throw enough of the kingdom of God at her. You couldn't give her enough to do. If it was a play, she was in it. If it was a Sunday school class, she was in it. If it was a choir, she was in it. If it was children's ministry, she was in it. And to some of the above, still is. But something happened. I don't know what happened. It's not my business. Something happened. She walked away from God and embraced the alcohol bottle again. I remember thinking to ever get this sweet lady back in church is going to be a tall mountain to climb. And I could go around this building and, and mention two or three others that decided that living for God wasn't worth it and fell into a pattern of sin and transgression. And Sister Murph would talk about you people. We talked about Sister Yvonne. And I would hear that little voice in my ear that said, Can she live again? God, I don't know. I don't know. I know I'm going to put everything I have into it. And I, I don't want to patronize Sister Yvonne, love her to death, and she knows that. I don't want to patronize her anyway. But she was so easy, it was pitiful. There was no work involved in that one. We had Geico insurance when we moved here 23 years ago 
and decided that we'd go back to State Farm with Ellis Johnson on Wax Road because Sister Yvonne worked there. Y'all write this down. My insurance went up. But it was worth it. Some of you folks are too cheap even for soul winning. But we switched it over to give us an inroad back into Sister Yvonne's life. She told us later, when you and Sister Paula walked out of that office, she said, I sat there and thought in myself, and my spirit started to churn. I need to get back in church. I need to come back to God. I wish everybody was that easy. You have to beg and plead and talk and talk and talk some more and talk some more. But I keep hearing that voice of God in my ear. Can they live again? Can they live again? And I'm like, God, I don't know. And God's response is simply this. Just start preaching to them. (laughs) Just start preaching. Just start preaching. And I don't have to be in a sanctuary to preach. I don't have to be behind the pulpit to preach. I've told people sitting in my office, I don't mean to preach to you, but that's what God said to do when there's somebody sitting across from you that's hopeless and helpless and sees no way. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Charles L. Allen said, when you, when you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you are slamming the door in God's face. The psalmist said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why is, are you so disquieted within you? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. No one is hopeless whose hope is in God. J. Bailey Smith said, have you ever been in despair? The answer is simple. Quit looking at your circumstances and look at God. A pessimist finds a problem in every, every opportunity, but an optimist finds an opportunity in every problem. Don't despair. God is the answer. So back to the Ezekiel 37. And he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto thee, them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. That's stupid. Now, I've never seen a a human corpse or a skeleton lying out in the desert. I haven't gone to look for one lately, to be honest. But I've seen dead animals on the road that have been there for only God knows how long, and there's nothing left but a skeleton. And to walk up to that thing and start saying, you're going to live. People would look at me like I'm stupid. But you have to understand, when you add God to the equation, you take stupid out of it. You take ignorance out of it. You take looking ridiculous out of it. Do you understand? Am I talking to anybody here today? I'm trying to help somebody right now. I will lay sinews upon you and will bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. The point to verse 6 to me is simply this. When God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? God was not intending to resurrect a skeleton. Oh my. God intended on a complete and total restoration that you would never know they were just a skeleton. When God was done with them, they would look like a normal, healthy, fully functional human 
body with sword, spear, and shield in their hand, ready to fight that enemy. Again, uh, you don't hear, you're not hearing me yet. When God steps into your life, man, He don't go halfway. He don't go three quarters. When God steps into your life and starts a restoration progress, He will take you all the way back to better than you used to be. Oh, my. So Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And I prophesied, and there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when, when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and, but there was not yet breath in them. There had been a complete restoration done to these bones in Ezekiel's vision. And they looked like normal human beings. But they weren't breathing. Now, it would appear absurd to address dry bones. Picture Ezekiel standing in the middle of the battlefield among the corpses, preaching to piles of bones. He learned quickly that God's ways are not man's ways. The prophet speaks at the divine command, the divine message. He speaks for God, and they who listen hear the word of God, and God's word goes forth. And when it does, things begin to happen. We've experienced that here at Grace Church over the past couple of months. There were folks that walked in that were nothing more than a skeleton spiritually. But I watch every time they come to church, there's a little more skin. There's a little more muscle. I can do this. Pretty soon the beach will be that way. Huh? There's folks that come. They're sin sick. They're bitter sick. They're not being able to forgive other people sick. They're toting grudges. And they feel hopeless. And they come with a mental picture of church in their head that said, if church is this way, I want no part of it. And if a preacher is this way, I want no part of it. And if God is this way, I want no part of him. And the list goes on and on and on. But somehow, somehow, the word of God goes forth. The word of God goes forth. It could be a message of today. It could have been one they heard 40 years ago. I don't know. The word of God goes forth. It never dies. It never dies. You can hear a sermon 40 years old and it still works. The gospel never dies. It goes on and on and on. And you get the point. And when God speaks, the spirit of the man responds to it. And here's why. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing to the dividing asunder soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Paul said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort and of the scriptures might have hope. Every conflict Jesus had with the devil, he used the word of God to defend himself. It is written, he said, it is written, it is written. The word of God is a window to those in the prison of hopelessness through which they can look and see the light of the hope, the light of hope and get direction for their lives. Ezekiel said, then he said unto me, God said, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, preach to the wind, say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived. And they stood up, not as skeletons, weak and powerless and weird looking, but they stood up on their feet in exceeding great army. A.W. Tozer wrote in his article, Born After Midnight. He said, religious structure and instruction, however sound, is not enough by itself. It brings light, but it cannot impart sight. The assumption that light and sight are synonymous has brought spiritual tragedy to millions, he said. The Pharisees looked straight at the light of the world for three years. 
But not one ray of light reached their inner being. Light is not enough. The inward operation of the Holy Ghost is necessary to saving faith. The gospel is light, but only the Spirit of God can give sight. Paul said, now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Spirit's control will replace sin's control. His power is greater than the power of all your sin. If you have the Holy Ghost on the inside, you can stand any kind of battle on the inside. John said, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. If you'll stand with me this morning, this past Monday and Tuesday, Sister Murph and I drove to Memphis to visit with our sweet Dave and Farrah Bunch. You all know their story. Their son Dawson was diagnosed with leukemia in February of this year and actually for several hours hung between life and death. We had the privilege of driving Dave to St. Jude's while Farrah and Dawson went on an airplane in Memphis And it was a pleasure to be able to grab him by the arm and say, Dave, hang on, man. It ain't over yet. God's not done yet. God's not done. So when they were starting to see a little bit of daylight and it seemed like Dawson was down the path of recovery, the great flood of 2016 came. Their house was filled with about four feet of water. And other than what they had packed to go that weekend to St. Jude's in a suitcase, was lost. They lost everything. Now they're thinking even their house will probably have to be demolished. Sit down with Dave at breakfast this past Tuesday morning. And he said, I want to tell you something, Pastor. He said, just several days ago, I was at a real impasse on why is all this stuff happening and what have you. And he said, I believe God spoke to me. As a matter of fact, it was when Dave went because of his job. He had to go to Philadelphia for a week with his job. It was that same week that Dawson had been diagnosed with pancreatitis. Dave couldn't get back. They were here at the Lady of the Lake. Dave was in Philadelphia. I can't imagine the frustration and anxiety that he felt. And he said one morning the clock went off and he couldn't get the alarm to go off. And he said there was just a moment of anger that came over him and he said I want to just take that clock and just throw it through the wall and he said God spoke to me that morning he said in that moment of just I just reached a point I just couldn't take it no more he said God spoke to me and said welcome to the wilderness he said so I didn't totally understand that but he said I sobbed and cried and repented for my attitude and He said, I started studying people in the Bible that went through the wilderness, which included Moses, Jesus, and Paul was the three that he named. But he said, I got stuck with Moses. And he said, in the middle of that study with with Moses, and he said he wanted to maybe preach it one day, it occurred to him like never before that while Moses was in the wilderness, there was nothing but despair all around. Not a place anybody wants to live. Dave said it occurred to him. God spoke to Moses as he approached the burning bush and said, Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. In the middle of a place of desolation. In the middle of a place of despondency and no hope. God created a small little space for Moses called holy ground. And Dave said that morning he felt like he was standing on holy ground. And he said, I knew that morning that with all this has happened in our life, that Farah and I and my family was in God's hands. And he said, now I have hope. One of these days, God is going to restore that family. Dave cried through that story off and on, and I struggled with my emotion. I've thought about that conversation many times since we've been back and 
I couldn't help but think of the old song that all I know it was Brother Brown. He was out of John Cupid's church in New Orleans years and years ago when I was a kid, a young teenager. I heard him sing it several times. The old, the old black man would sing, I have hope when trouble comes my way. I have hope, he sang, since Jesus has come to stay. I have hope, oh yeah, when things are not well with me. I have hope, it's a beautiful hope that sets me free. Now when in distress, he said, come unto me. If you're oppressed, I know, he'll give you liberty. Times may find, times may find you at the end of your line. Just keep the faith. Don't ever doubt. The Lord will be right on time. The darkest night is just before the dawn. The hardest fight that I know is just to keep holding on. And when you get weary... When you get weary and each hill seems so hard to climb, just keep looking up and don't ever doubt for the Lord will be on time. The psalmist said unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul? O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, and thee do I wait all day. Thomas said that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There's folks standing here today in life has been anything but kind. I offer you today a hope, a refuge, a place you can turn to. Paul did say if in this life only we had hope, we'd be of all men most miserable, and we know what that means, but he did indicate that we do have a hope in this life. There is hope. I would to God that the married couple here today would work on your marriage one more time, but this time bring Jesus in the middle of it. I wish the parents that feel hopeless for your kids and the decisions that they're making in their life right now, just don't throw your hands up and say, I can't do anymore. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. I'll never feel forget feeling that place of despondency as a parent. Casey was driving, and she left one night to go be with friends. I was so despondent. Felt so hopeless. Of course, Dad wanted to go with her and be her protector, and that wasn't going to happen. So I went to her closet in her bedroom amongst her shoes and keepsakes and yearbooks and all of that, and I just kind of cleared me out of spot. And I laid there for over an hour and sobbed that God would keep his hand on my daughter. And he did. And he still does. I'm trying to impart to somebody here today, it ain't over. Lori, it ain't over. It's not. It's not over. I want us to pray right now before we move forward. I want everybody to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for the person standing next to you. As a matter of fact, just put your hand on the shoulder of somebody next to you and let's pray for one another. Somebody here today needs this message. I don't know who you are, but somebody needs this message. It ain't over with yet. Life ain't over. In the name of Jesus, I plead a blood covering over this congregation of people. I come against every every distraction, every fear, every doubt, every moment of discouragement. I come against it in Jesus' name. There's people here today that feel like they failed. There's people here today that feel like there's no hope. There's people here today that are so negative they can't see the silver lining anymore. They haven't seen the sun in days, months, and even years. I want to pray to, oh God, to you today. I've preached the word. I've preached the word. 
To some who seem lifeless, their spirit seems lifeless and they don't care. They don't care if you come back today or not. They don't care if they're not in church next week or not. They really don't care. They're just, they're stuck. They're stuck in a place. They're, they're stuck in a situation. They're stuck in an attitude and a mindset. They think forgiveness is beyond reach. They think that hope is beyond reach. But I come against it today. In the name of Jesus, I come against it. And I pray a blood covering. In the name of the Lord, that there still is hope for ministry. There's hope for usefulness. There's hope for value. There's hope for purpose. It ain't over with yet. God, I pray that the wind of the Holy Ghost would begin to blow across this building right now. That that skeleton would feel the breath of God and feel that covering of skin, that covering of muscle and strength and power that you would resurrect before our very eyes a mighty army of believers. Jesus Oh, God. As our custom is, why don't you come around the front to a place of hope, to a place where you can get hope. Everybody come. Come on, everybody come. It ain't over. Come pray one more time. I'm asking you to come pray one more time. Come seek the face of God one more time. I'm asking you to shed one more tear. I'm asking you today to feel fervency one more time. It ain't over. Let God back in. Let Him back in. Ascend to that place of hope. Ascend to that place of strength and encouragement. That place of inspiration. That place of no fear, no doubt. Come on, if God's done it for some, He can do it for everybody. He can do it for you. Come on, folks, everybody reach heavenward right now. Would you reach heavenward with me? All across the building, would you reach heavenward with me right now, everybody? Folks, pray right now. There's somebody that needs this message. They're here right now. Everybody pray. Everybody please pray. Everybody please pray, please pray. In the name of Jesus. Come on, it ain't over. No, it's not over. No, it's not. <laughs>